Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I am the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you again this week to discuss an interesting way of looking at multifamily real estate, and that is three things I like and three things I dislike about multifamily real estate. You know, one of the questions that I get asked periodically is, is multifamily real estate investing too good to be true? What, what's the catch? It sounds like it's all upside. Obviously, there's a lot that we like about multifamily real estate investing, which is why that's the space that we're in. And yes, there are some issues and some ideas as to how you can deal with those issues. And that's what we're going to talk about this week. As always, thank you for joining us. And if you have questions, you can email me, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And you can also swing by the website to check out all the great content on the Learning Center, which includes the ability to register for upcoming webinars. We'll be releasing our second half of the year season schedule uh, shortly. So I encourage you to stop by and take a look at those. All right, on to this week's topic. Is multifamily real estate all sunshine and roses and butterflies and whatever the other cliche statements are? Well, no, there are challenges in anything that we choose to do from an investing standpoint. So this week, I thought it might make some sense to offer three things that I like about multifamily real estate. Not necessarily these are the top three, just three that came to my mind more readily than others. And three things I dislike, which there are dislikes. And I have some ideas for you on how to address the dislikes. So the number uh, first thing, not number one, because they're not sequential, but the first thing that I like, and maybe it is the number one thing that I like about multifamily real estate is the fact that we're investing in a market where the market forces, the raw forces of supply and demand are very favorable for investors, in particular in the class B space. We have demand on one side that is growing, healthy growth. That's coming from the growth of the economy. That comes from the growth of the population. It comes from the aging of the population. Uh, boomers, for example, moving into the retirement phase, where while they are renting in the same proportion as prior generations, there's twice as many of them. So it's a bigger raw number. And the fact that younger generations have made different decisions about home ownership, some for financial reasons, some more lifestyle reasons, all of which is contributing to significant growing demand. At the same time, and again, in particular for the Class B space, we're dealing with essentially stagnant supply. While we are nationally building a few hundred thousand units every year, those units are overwhelmingly at one end of the spectrum, and that is the Class A side of the business. Class B has very little 
market rate development going on. In the markets that we're active in, there hasn't been a class B market unit built in several years. Now, I clarify that by saying market units. There are class B units that are in fact being constructed. These are uh, government supported, meaning that there are uh, tax breaks or other dollars that are contributed to the development of those units. And in return, there are restrictions placed on those rents. So they do not perform at market and ultimately don't have a lot of impact on the market because it's such one, a small number and two, they're at artificial prices. So we like the supply demand scenario. We would love to see something happen that would allow there to be new supply. The answer to that is either significant reduction in development costs, which likely does not look like it's going to happen, or a continued increase in the value of existing units to the point where it would be economical to build new units. I absolutely can guarantee you that all of our investors would be quite happy if our properties that we purchased for 50 or 80 or $100,000 a door were suddenly worth $200,000 a door because that's what it would cost to replace them. We'd be quite happy to see new supply come into the marketplace. All right, so that's one of the things that I like about multifamily real estate. Another is the performance, and this is not just multifamily, it's true for real estate in general, but in particular, multifamily, I think, does this quite well. The performance as a hedge, meaning the performance throughout the entirety of the economic cycle. We have just gone through a very, I guess, unprecedented time frame where we have, as a nation, shut down the economy and then turned it back on and poured a bunch of fuel on the fire uh, such that we've gone from one end of the spectrum to the other in terms of the economic cycle, and multifamily has performed throughout the entirety of that. It truly is a secure place to invest dollars. That's one of the things that attracted myself and Bill and the rest of our management team to focus on multifamily was that secure, resilient nature that multifamily has. Again, Real estate in general performs like that, but you can think for yourself over the last two or three years, how well has hospitality performed or retail? Those are sectors, as an example, that were hit fairly hard, office even, uh, during this most recent period. Multifamily, not terribly affected by it. About the only impact you can honestly say that we've seen is the eviction moratorium that we all had to deal with, which ultimately, while it was not insignificant, it was not overly significant. All right, so supply and demand and a secure investment that performs as a hedge. The third thing that I like about multifamily real estate is you can earn nice returns. You can earn a good cash return, you can earn equity growth, and you can do all that being really tax efficient. It, it really hits all the bases. It's a wonderful tool to add some diversity to an investment portfolio that performs on one hand like a bond, that's the secure component, but on the other hand, performs more like an equity with equity growth, but has tax advantages that you don't get from either. 
So a really nice return profile. Uh, will it always be that way? Well, if some of those other factors change, maybe that changes at some point in time in the future. But boy, it's pretty hard to imagine us getting to a place where we don't see a nice balanced cash return and equity growth. And again, very difficult to imagine significant changes in the tax code that would negatively impact the investment we all have made or are contemplating making in multifamily real estate. All right, so there's three things that I like about multifamily real estate. As I said, it's not all rose-colored uh, glasses. Uh, there are things that are challenging about multifamily. So let me go through three items that I dislike about multifamily. Number one, and I say number one because this really is number one, it's not liquid. Now, hardly any real estate investment can be considered liquid. Maybe a investment in a stock of a publicly traded REIT is liquid, but that's not real estate. That's a stock. That's an equities investment. So it's not liquid. You can't buy a piece of real estate, multifamily or any other kind, and then a week later decide that, well, I don't really want to own that. I want to put my money somewhere else. I guess you can make that decision. The time to execute that exit from that position is measured in months, not in hours or days. Whereas if you have an investment in the stock market or the bond market, you can move those dollars around very, very freely. It is, those are liquid markets. So it's not a terribly liquid place to put dollars. The second item I've got, the second dislike is, it's really a long-term investment. Uh, there are short-term real estate investments, right? So people flip houses and other kinds of properties, uh, but there's a lot of risk involved in that. And even in that environment, you're talking about investments that are on the order of maybe a year or two. These are not get in, get out a week later kinds of opportunities. So they're longer term. Most multifamily investments are going to be five years, some much longer. Uh, our total return fund is structured so that while we don't hold individual assets beyond about five years, the fund is structured to operate over 30 years. So very long-term focus so why do I dislike it? Well, it's not so much that I dislike it. It's just that that's an impediment to many people getting into multifamily real estate is the fact that these dollars are going to be tied up for an extended period of time. All right. The third dislike that I have for you is, and this one might sound kind of odd, man, we got to deal with a lot of tenants. I mean, a lot of tenants, hundreds thousands inside of a portfolio and they come and go and they all have different issues and they lose their jobs and they have a difficult time uh, paying their rent and they decide they're going to leave in the middle of the night and they skip and my goodness everything in the world happens there's a lot of activity involved managing all of these tenants now prior to investing in multifamily our team was focused in the industrial space, single tenant for the most part, industrial space with gold-plated tenants. Man, that was wonderful. 
easy to manage, very low risk, very low turnover. And now we have all these tenants we have to deal with. And it can be a challenge. It may be one of the reasons why ultimately some people don't get into multifamily, especially directly where they're going to directly own and operate. It's a bit of a pain in the backside to deal with tenants. All right. So there's three things I dislike. I'd like to go back to each one of those, though, and talk about how there are strategies that allow you to invest in multifamily that not only address these issues, in many instances, they turn these issues into advantages. So let's go back through each one of them. It's not liquid. Absolutely true. And it is, in my mind, the number one issue about investing in real estate. Well, there are ways to deal with that. One is if you're building your own portfolio to build what in the bond world is called a bond ladder. Well, you build a real estate ladder. And what that means is you buy a portfolio of properties, but not all at once, but you buy them periodically every six months to a year to a year and a half, such that by the time you get five years down the road, about every six months to a year to a year and a half, you have a property that's going to be going to market. And that gives you the ability to potentially take some cash out to sell the asset and not execute a 1031, or to even sell the asset, do a 1031, and even throw some extra cash in. Gives you a lot of flexibility. Our fund is essentially structured that way so that we can provide liquidity to our members. So many of you, if you're a passive investor and you're looking to invest and liquidity is an issue, as I identified here, you might look at funds and I would encourage you to see what ability you have to withdraw uh, money from, uh, from time to time. All right, the second item I mentioned was that in general, multifamily real estate investing is a long-term activity. Well, there's no getting around that. As I said, there aren't really any ways to invest in multifamily in a, on a short-term basis. So embrace it. In, Everyone's investment portfolio, each dollar is different than every other dollar. Some dollars need to move and turn on a rapid basis. Some are needed within the next few years. Some, however, are intended not to be touched for a very long period of time, 10 years, 20 years, maybe they're retirement dollars, or maybe they're multi-generational dollars, dollars that aren't intended to actually be used by you, the investor, but that are part of an estate plan longer term. It is those dollars that are the dollars that should be considered for real estate investments. That essentially takes this dislike and drags it off the table because now that's actually part of the benefit is instead of having to invest dollars that you want working for 20 years in a series of short-term investments and constantly be churning them, and by the way, paying taxes as you churn them, you're investing over a longer period of time, which is much more efficient, both in terms of your time and energy, as well as most likely taxes. The third item, all those tenants, all those tenants that I described as, as being challenging to deal with in such large numbers. Well, I mentioned that prior to 
working in multifamily, we did a great deal of work in the industrial space with a lot of single tenant properties, very high-end tenants that just were gold-plated, highly secure. Well, part of what I think works in the multifamily space is sort of the law of large numbers. The fact that there are so many tenants and yes, they lose their jobs and their marriages uh, get dissolved and uh, they have to move away or they skip out. Those things happen. The larger and larger the pool though of tenants, right? So the larger a portfolio, if we have 50 tenants or 100 tenants or 1,000 tenants or 2,000 tenants, the larger the tenant base gets, the more accurately we can actually forecast all of that activity. And it's not so much that those things happen, it's that they happen infrequently and it's difficult to know when they're going to occur. That's a challenge if you only have one tenant or 10 tenants or 40 tenants. But if you have 1,000 tenants or 1,500 tenants or 2,000 tenants or 10,000 tenants, you can forecast that pretty accurately. And now the surprise factor goes away. And now these tenants in aggregate are just as gold-plated as those gold-plated tenants I talked about that we worked with in the industrial space. And so embracing the fact that there's a lot of tenants and getting even more, having a large number of tenants so that we can forecast that activity. And then we simply build procedures into the system to deal with what we know is going to happen. We shouldn't be surprised that we'll find on any given day a tenant that has moved out and not informed us. It's going to happen. We know that every month somebody's going to walk in the door or maybe not walk in the door, but not pay their rent. And we're going to need to address that. We know that we're going to have tenants that are going to walk in and say, I can't afford my unit anymore. I need to do something about that. If we know that those activities are going to happen and we can forecast that, then we can be prepared and we can have procedures to deal with it. And now all of a sudden, it's not so hard dealing with all of those tenants. Now, I mentioned a single tenant and 10 tenants and 40 or 50 tenants. Honestly, I think those are the places where it's really challenging because you can't get into a law of large numbers when you're just dealing with that number of tenants. It can be very challenging. If you own a fourplex and there's only four tenants, any given month, who knows what might happen? And that can be very challenging. It's one of the reasons why we advocate, even if you're going to have your own portfolio, looking at potentially putting some money in something like our total return fund or another fund that would be out there where you're invested in a portfolio that can be more stable because it in fact has thousands of tenants. All right, so three things I like about multifamily real estate, three things I dislike about multifamily real estate and a few ideas on what you can do about those things. I'm curious if you agree or disagree with those. I'd love to hear from you. Again, you can email me pat at marapolling.com. If you have questions, feel free to shoot me an email. I'm always happy to chat with you about whatever it is you might want to discuss in the multifamily space. And please join us next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Polling. <laughs>